Welcome to The Prestige, all about films, filmmaking and film theory. Each week we pick a movie, review it, talk about it and discuss some of the ideas and themes that it throws up. And as always, we end the show with our recommendations for further reading, further watching, inspired by this week's film. But before we kick off, a quick catch up on what else we've been watching. So, Rob. So, the only real thing that I've been watching in the last week is not even a movie, not even a TV series. It's a YouTube series uh, called Critical Role. Those of you that know me outside of this podcast know that I'm a massive nerd and I'm a big gaming nerd and I enjoy D&D and that kind of things. Uh, essentially, Critical Role is a bunch of American voice actors. So they do the voices for uh, video games and cartoons and animations and all that kind of thing. It's them playing D&D once a week. They play for about two, three hours a week and they stream it live on YouTube. Being voice actors, they very much get into the characters and roles, um, and a bit loving D&D myself, I really love the show. It's on the Geek and Sundry Network, which is produced by Felicia Day, who is somewhat of a, a patron saint of geekdom. Um, and it's, it's just it's people playing D&D. Um, and it's a strange thing to watch, because obviously it's very it's all in the words and all the experience. It's not like, not like watching a movie, um, but because they're all such great voice actors, you really do get the sense of personality from that, which you don't in other, shall we say, streamed versions of, of tabletop games. So what what can you see? So basically you see the seven of them who are playing it. Right. Um, and they talk things out. And if they have if they have a fight like that, or there's like a, a map, then there's another camera that pops that up to show you um, what what's going on. Bizarrely, Sam, when you were here yesterday, it was on the big screen. Oh, right. If you remember. I do remember. Um, I wasn't paying attention. Yes. Yeah, that's fine. Um so that's that's uh that's critical role. And it's 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 very much a nerdy bit of me, but it's sort of thing they can put on while I you know, edit the photographs or while I'm doing anything anything that doesn't involve writing or talking, I can watch this while I do it. So any of the admin jobs I have to do, um I can do I need to stick on the ground. So Does feeding your daughter come on the admin jobs that you need to do. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> well, this week, uh, Rob's heard this already because I saw him yesterday, but this week I went back to work, uh, which meant that I didn't have time for watching lots of films and TV as I've been able to the past couple of months. Um, and so all I've been watching this week is the TV series Suits. And I, this is a strange one to talk about because I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. I don't think it's particularly good. Um, it's very procedural. It's the same thing happening every week or variations of the same thing. But it's kind of, it's it's just comfortable watching. And it's not something where I think the narrative wants sitting down and watching an episode at a time. I can watch... 20 minutes here and there, and not be too fast by the fact that I haven't seen the whole episode. So it's it's not great, but it passes the time. Fair enough. That's what I've been doing this week. Once again, returning to recommendations from Sam and Rob of, it's alright. Yeah, it's, it's nothing special. But yeah. <laughs> so, this week's film, Rob. So this week's film, this week's film, having completed the Evil Dead franchise last week, we're picking up with a Another franchise, and this week it is the Alien franchise. So the first film 
in the Alien franchise is the titular Alien, released in 1979 from Ridley Scott, written by Dan O'Brien and Roland Schuchert, starring Sigourney Weaver, um, with great support from people like John Hurt and that kind of thing. It tells the tale of the crew of the Nostromo, a towing spaceship, I suppose, um, who are rerouted to a distress call, or at least some sort of call, and there meet, shall we say, the alien. And from there it is a slow process by which they are all slowly offed one by one. Uh, I will say this is a, obviously a very old film, a well-known film, so spoilers from the get-go, I would probably say. Mm. Um, this is the, 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 I wouldn't expect you to be listening to this if you haven't, but obviously old film, spoilers to come. Um, it is... I put that all the same for Tinder's plot. Now, Sam, we discussed last week that you had seen one of Alien or Aliens, and you weren't sure which. So, had you seen Alien before? And I'm... if not, what do you think? I think I was lying. Not, okay. Not, I'm not lying. I think I was mistaken. Um, I think I've seen bits of the first film. I know what the famous scene with John Hurt and the alien looks like because I've seen that several times. Um, I've seen bits of other dramatic set pieces. I don't think I've seen the whole of this film. And actually, this film was the one that I thought I was more likely to have seen. So I was in, in, in an interesting position because I wasn't coming to this film cold. I knew what this film was about. I knew what to expect from certain parts of it, um, but not from other parts. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed this this particular way of way of watching it, way of coming to it. Um, I also enjoyed the fact that. The film starts so slowly, um, and the slow start sort of mirrors the fact that the crew are in stasis, but it's not It's not a sort of lazy, okay, we're going to move around an empty ship. The, Ridley Scott actually uses the camera work to, sh- to give you a sense, that, a sense of foreboding, a sense that something bad is going to happen. So he doesn't he doesn't waste that first bit of the film where essentially you see nothing happen because actually it's all building to to later parts of the film. So I I thought this was this was brilliantly shot and it's not limited to the first bit actually. There are bits of camera work later on. I I mean when you see Dallas going down the air duct and the light contracts around him. Scott has used, or whether it's the cinematographer or it's the director, but whoever has chosen that has has used the lighting to focus in on this central character and make it look like he is surrounded by darkness and we feel his claustrophobia that. So it's really clever. I mean, you think of... I, I was just thinking of... of the first Mission Impossible as a film with someone crawling through an air duct. You think about that, you think that is sort of nice and slick and well lit. And you think that doesn't have the same sense of claustrophobia that you get here. So I thought that that was really good. I thought it was it was a really innovative film. Um, I was pleased to see 
Uh, well, I knew, knew John Hurt was in it, obviously, from the central scene, but I was pleased to see Ian Holm. I, it, I, I love Ian Holm, possibly remembering seeing the borrowers in the 80s. He'll always be the borrowers to me. It's yeah. all he'll ever be to me. <laughs> yes, but I, I really enjoyed him. Um, so, Rob, what was it like watching for the 154th time? Um, it's it was still very very good. Um, I still think this film is brilliant. Uh, I think it is in many ways a masterclass in, as you say, slow burn filmmaking. You know, mm. like nothing really happens for the first sort of forty minutes, and then nothing. You only really see the alien until at least a gone hour. Mm. Um, so it's very much a slow burn. But that's I think that's to its benefit because it means that you end up caring more about the characters when they do die than if they hadn't done that. Um, and I think also it's, it's worth talking about that you don't really see the alien until maybe right at the end. Uh, and that's very... That adds to its power in many ways. You know, the, 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 the unknown assailant that you don't really understand the rules, you don't understand what's going on. That's far... Far scarier, I suppose, than anything else. And yeah. that, I think, as we've touched in the past, I'm, much, I'm a much bigger fan of horror than Sam is. And this essentially is a horror film. It's a slasher film in space. Yes. Um, I mean, you have the same final girl. You have the same slow death of, of everyone else. So I, I very much enjoy it. And I think that it does great work to build a universe around the story. We've talked in the past about other films where you feel like you're seeing a snapshot into, into a wider universe. Mm. And how that's good for a film. Look, it, there isn't a lot of backstory. You don't find any more about these characters beyond... There's no sort of you know, lead-in, there's no history of whoever it is or that kind of thing. It all comes out in the conversation and the dialogue that they have. But you feel like there's a wider world here. There is, you know, there's a much bigger sort of world going on, well, universe going on, than what we're seeing. And that's to its benefit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, it, it was great then, it's still great now. Um, and whilst... I talk about that wider universe, some of the work done in Prometheus to flesh it out, I don't agree with. At this point, I'm still very happy and very keen with how they're doing things. Mm. I was interested, is, I know mean, I've explained now the strange way of coming to this film, having seen bits of it, but not the whole. Um, and another thing that I knew about it, I think everyone knows about it, you, you know, by osmosis. It's mm. something that people know through pop culture, even if you haven't seen Star Wars, you know things about the arc of the story, for instance. Even if you haven't seen this film, as I haven't in its entirety, you know that the central character is a strong woman and Ripley is the centre of this film. And what I was interested by is the fact that she is not an undiscovered genius who sees something that the rest of the crew misses and she survived because of that. And also, she's not actually that much of a strong, independent female character until, I will say, until the very end. And you see her doing something um, resourceful and strong and she actually finishes the alien off. There's something really, really empowering about that. But until you get to that point... She's just been scared. She's just been something mm. that you mentioned, that you mentioned it being essentially a Sasha film. She's been the survivor. 
She's just been the girl who's happened to have survived. And that was something I thought was really good, that this, it turns into a story of female empowerment. And it's, I mean, it's quite early. Remember, it's 1979, so it's, it's quite early for a film to be that progressive from a gender point of view. And it turns into that, and Ridley Scott makes it that by the end. But up until that point, she's just been someone who just hasn't died yet. That's all she is. Hmm. And I think, and you're right. I think that's that's important to say that she isn't. We talked in the past about sort of the plucky hero, the scrappy hero who isn't all powerful. But like Dallas dies because he gets into tunnels. Mm. Other people, uh, John Hurt dies because he was the one on. He went out into the. Um, I mean, she's the one who sends uh, the other two down to their deaths, sticking coolant. So it, it, she she's merely survived by being not being where the alien is, not through anything smarter than her, or you know, even any kind of plan on anyone's part. She merely is the one that survived. Hmm. I will say, having mentioned how progressive this film is, and I, I say my my review of the, this film is overwhelmingly positive, and Rob's review of this film is particularly positive, and we will go on to talk about how great this film is. But one note of caution is the way this treats Parker and the way that the black character is presented in this film because there you have a a non-white character introduced for the purposes of diversity, as the filmmakers have said, and you also have someone who is essentially a stereotype of a black exploitation character from early seventies films. You have many, many heroes, and I've just I've just written an article for a history journal about this. With the way that um, you have a character like Luke Cage nowadays, and the progressive thing about him, this twenty sixteen incarnation, is that he doesn't take money, because that was a trope of black exploitation characters and Luke Cage's original comic came out of this that black characters wanted their money and there was something inherently racist about that because even if a black character was a hero he would only do it for money and you have that right at the beginning of this film that Parker is talking about the fact that he wants his money and he's not prepared to do the right thing if he doesn't get paid for it and he only shuts up about that when Dallas says, well, it's in the rules. So that that's the, the one note of caution I would say about this film, is that, and yeah, you would give it the benefit of the doubt because it's a film that was made in the 70s, but it's mm-hmm. one little thing that I was a little bit disappointed by. I, I think you have to, I mean, whilst we... It's worth talking about the fact that you can look back at films and go, yeah, kind of racist. I do think that there is a, a point made, you know what, you look at it in its time and place, and you have to accept that these views that the film has aren't right. But it's very hard to judge a film on its compliance with the morals of the day, if you see what I'm saying. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's a, it, that, that is a strange one, but I, I am with you on that. But I do think that it, it, it's, there's also another argument there, because Ripley's character was originally male. It was written as a, oh. as a guy character hmm. and then converted into a woman. Whereas the other fe- actual female character in it, um, whose name... Lambert. Lambert. Seems much more in the typical feminine, weak 
character role that's often portrayed for me at that time. She's the one who freaks out when the alien and sort of cries and can't deal with it. And she, she is the one who loses her nerve in the face of the alien. Mm. And the actress herself almost refused to take the role because of that. She was like, this is a weak female character and I don't like it. And yeah, she exactly. had to be talked around to it. And I think there's... It, it, like without the inclusion of Ripley changing gender, which obviously is a, a a sort of a great thing in terms of feminism in terms of the movies, without that change, it is it tends to fall into some very cliched and very prejudiced views on things. Yes, yeah. is what I'm saying. Now, obviously, the film is, as we said in the past, it kind of. It's in the space about aliens, but it's really a, about a, a a slasher, a horror film, a thriller. Yes, you know, we I think that we often often films like get lumped into he says in in video commas a genre, a, a sci-fi film, um, or it's a fantasy film, rather than being. It's a horror film set in space, whereas it's very much a horror film set in space. You mentioned that earlier, Sam. Yeah, there will be. The, the the point that I wanted to talk about was the fact that the actor playing Brett, I think his name's Scanton, um, didn't initially want to be in the film uh, because he didn't like sci-fi. And Ridley Scott said, well, it's not really a sci-fi film, although it, it is, as he said, it is set in space, it is set in the future. It's more of a thriller. And it's more like... It, He's had various names throughout history, ten little Indians, and then there were none or examples of it um, that, that was was being filmed around the time. So really Scott was saying, well, actually, this is, like you said, this is a slasher film where the characters get off one by one. So it's interesting to think about that, the film as not really a science fiction film at all, but... A film where, yeah, a, f- a film where some something horrible happens. I don't don't want to get particularly political about this, but there is something interesting about the cycle. This idea of being from elsewhere, and in a week, a, a week, a few months, where we have the rise of political movements that say we don't want something from elsewhere. It's interesting. To think, what is this film actually about? And one of the reasons that certain right-wing political movements have succeeded is because there is something inherent to the human condition of survival and getting rid of something that comes from elsewhere. So there is something that says mm. we we want to survive and we don't care, we're doing it at all costs. And actually the one character who says the alien has to be preserved at the cost of humanity is himself another. So the the human response is not Asher's response. The human response is Ripley's response, which is to kill off something that comes from outside. That's as as political as I I intend to get. In fairness, the other is slowly brutalising killing her friends. So I can see why she's killing it off. Uh, yes, yeah. Um, um, I think it's also, it's also worthwhile talking about this film to talk about the, I suppose, quite famous design um, 
by Geiger of the alien itself, mm. the biomechanical nature of it, and very much the sexual nature of all the design work that he did there. There is a, a reading of this film, and there is lots of talk and work around the fact of this film being a sort of, not a treatise, but using the symbols and signs of, of, of sexuality, and particularly male fears and male rape, to elicit the horror. You've right. got, obviously, you've got the, the, the face hooker, the, uh, the initial creature with all the legs that wraps around uh, John Hurt's face. Mm. Um, Kane's face and that sort of forces its way down its throat impregnates him and then he then gives birth to his chest to the to the alien the you can look at the the alien itself and its head is very phallic the mouth that comes out is very phallic the ship they find him on is this uh, is a a very phallic there's a lot of sexual imagery to a lot of Geiger's work through this film and I think that, that there's there certainly are interviews with with the writer and the director talking about how they wanted to terrify men particularly by, by this use of rape imagery and birth imagery um, you know mm-hmm. the, the, the the eggs that he gives birth and all that kind of thing and there, if, you, if you look at the shots of, of the alien ship they find the aliens on that a lot of the, the biomechanical nature of it you know that Whereas their ship is all very straight lines and corners, that that is much more organic and has much closer resemblance to a sort of human anatomy. Oh right, I had not thought about that, and that disturbed me. So uh, let's <laughs> <laughs> let's not not go any further. Um, and Rob, have you got any recommendations for us this week? Sure. So, from this week's film, and, and obviously we've got the next four weeks talking about aliens. I don't want to cover everything right now, but my first two um, are very much a thematic link to this this film. So, my first recommendation is the nineteen seventy four, so five years earlier, which was a very much a breakaway hit when it came out. Is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from Tobe Hooper? Essentially, this tells the tale of a inbred family of hillbillies who terrorise and brutally murder a group of American college kids on a road trip. It is in many ways much more recommendation for the Evil Dead franchise we're doing, but this idea of this unknown inhuman force that appears out of nowhere and kills people randomly, it has that same feeling of this group gets smaller and smaller and smaller and cut down because you've got this inhuman creature who doesn't play by normal physical rules um, and can kill them off it is unlike most horror horror films it is very very visceral um, experience to watch this film and to this day it can make me feel queasy watching it Um, so if you haven't seen it is not for the light hearted it is not a fun afternoon film it is what the title does is Um, don't mistake it for even for the Evil Dead, it is it is far more a gut wrenching film than any of the Evil Dead's. But it does have that same. You can draw a line in terms of the plot and the narrative arc um, of this film to Alien. My second recommendation is another horror film in space, um, starring Blythe Fishburne and Sam Neill, directed by Paul W. S. Anderson. 
it is 1997 film Event Horizon, in which a a ship investigate a black hole and discover horrors within. It's very much in the more in the Hellraiser style of things of horror, in that the the horror images and the slow burn insanity of man when faced with the unknown, shall we say. But there aren't too many horror films in space, shall we say. Mm. Um, and so I thought that Event Horizon was a, a good shout of recognition. Good. Sam. Yes. Now, well, like you, I think there's... We've got time in this franchise to come, so I will save my space recommendations for later on. Um, but my two recommendations, and actually they have more in common than yours than you would have thought. Um, there is something horrific about both these films. Um, but there's also a way in which you get a mashup of genres slightly. Um, Say what I mean. The the my first one um is largely for nostalgic reasons because it reminds me of an author who was greatly read and enjoyed by a friend of ours at school. And our friend Dom used to love James Patterson books. He may he still did. do. I don't know, but he was a great fan of them. Um and. The filming of this, um, Along Came a Spider, from 2000, and I should have checked this, possibly 2002, um, it shares the composer with Alien. The composer, Jerry Goldsmith, has done a lot of um, film school work, and he worked on Along Came a Spider as well. It's not a great film. It's a film that I've seen more than once, but I don't think that's because I particularly enjoyed it. I think that's because it was a sort of film that was on Channel 5 a lot. Um, but as I said, for nostalgic reasons, I will throw that one in there. Before we move on, I just want to quickly interject there. You mm-hmm. mentioned the composer there, it struck a thought, a note I didn't bring up earlier. And there's a very quick aside. If you are a fan of movies and you're interested in the soundtrack, it's very interesting to listen to the soundtrack of Alien and the point at which it changes. If you listen to the first 40 minute soundtrack, especially when they're coming towards the planet in the first place, it's much more evocative of 60s sci fi. You know, Buck Rogers, Roy Rogers, that kind of thing, that kind of musical cues you get from that era or what we were getting until we encounter the aliens at which point it has slow transition is much closer to horror music so if you if you are a fan of film music and want to know about how it can affect the story if you listen to the music as they come into the land on the planet and the music when they leave those two clips of music you can see the change and how the story's been changed anyway as you were well, actually, the, the first thing I wrote down over that, that ethereal beginning with the camera moving slowly was this is a bit like Silent Running. So there's, mm. there's a link to, to the, those sort of space films, that sort of music there. So, interesting. Anyway, my other recommendation has another literary link, um, and the book in question is, or the, the author in question is, is certainly better than James Patterson, in my opinion. Um, and the link is from one of the actors that I've already mentioned. I'm not going to talk about the borrowers again, although I could. Um, but the link is Ian Holm, who was in, an aristocrat in the 
um, filming of the Alan Moore graphic novel From Hell. Mm. Um, it's another literary link, which is is again not a great film. It's better than Long Came a Spider, but um, I would recommend not just the film but also the graphic novel itself because Alan Moore is an absolute genius. So it's well worth reading. Fair enough. Fair enough. So guys, if you do like our podcast, we do really rely on your your likes and comments and shares. So if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a review. If you listen to us on on Overcast, give us a a recommendation. If you listen to anywhere you can recommend or share the podcast, please do. We really want to get ourselves out there into more people's listening holes. That sounds weird. Why can't you just say ears? Because that isn't as funny. And you know, given the phallic and body horror nature of Alien, I thought listening holes seemed more 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 in tune. Yeah. Okay. Right. I thought there was something, we, we could have gone with you know we want to penetrate more of your listening holes, but I thought that was too far. Then yeah, I thought it was too much. Well, now you said it. Now, yeah. Oh, but you forced my hand. Yeah. Okay. Tell tell them your Twitter thing. If you want to come chat about this this film or any of our podcasts, you can find me on Twitter at Rob Kaiju. You see, now he's he's snapped from completely inappropriate back into professional mode. Well, yeah, I am a pro. Yeah. Um, you find me at life underscore academic. Or you can find both of us at Pressy's Podcast. And we'll be back here with the next in the, uh, the franchise, Aliens, next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.